Okay, we are reading in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, and we had started on this portion last week. And if you're interested in catching up, all the lessons are on the web, on my website at jmtour.com. And then also, they're, they're, they're on iTunes. They, they get, up, they get uh, uh, uploaded onto iTunes as well, if, if that's easier for you. All right, in Acts chapter 8, we're going to start reading it at verse 4. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip, as they heard, the, heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonished many people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from the smallest to the greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had, for a long time, astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Okay, so we... We see, and we saw a little bit last week, we had talked about uh, magic and witchcraft and things like that and the dangers of it. But there's this man, Simon, who had, for a long time, it says, amazed people through his magic arts. And it says that the people were amazed, and, and it says that, that they were amazed and they were astonished. In verse 11, they were giving him his, his attention, for he had, a long time, had for a long time astonished them, with his magic arts. And then in verse 9, it says, he was claiming to be someone great. So this man was claiming himself to be someone great. And the people called him the great power of God because he had been claiming it himself. And they were astonished with his magic arts. But there was no substantive change in their life. They were just astonished. They were just amazed because he could do all these magic, magic things. You get involved in witchcraft and, and, and some strange things will happen. But there was no great change in the people's lives for good. They were just astonished by this. But it says, when Philip came, Philip came, there were works that he was doing, but he was proclaiming the word to them. See, it says up in verse 5, he began proclaiming Christ to them. So he was preaching not himself, but he was preaching Christ. What Simon was doing is he was talking about himself and proclaiming to be someone great. What men of God do is they come and they direct us to Christ. And interestingly, Jesus never directed us to anyone else. Because he himself is the living word. He didn't have to quote other people. Jesus wasn't quoting other people. He, was, he spoke the word of God. He directed us to Himself. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way unto the Father but through Me. But men of God, when they come, they direct us now to Christ. 
And it says in verse 6, the crowds with one accord were giving attention to what Philip, were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard the signs, as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. It was the word and the works that were coming from Philip. But there was now a substantive change in their lives. When they heard the good news in verse 12, when they heard the good news and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Lives were changing. You know, there's this story of this, this preacher who used to do street evangelism and he was standing up and a crowd was gathering. And he was talking about Jesus Christ and the grace of God and the mercies of God and how Jesus could come and change a life. And it is true. Jesus changes lives. He changed my life. I was an angry college student. When I went to college, I was angry and I was bitter and I was upset with the world. When God came into my life, it changed. My life changed that day that I received Him. And it was early on. I was a freshman in college, and one young man on, on the floor in, in which I lived, uh, we, were, we were doing our laundry together. I was doing my laundry, he was doing his laundry down in the laundry room. I had only been in college for a couple of weeks. And he started to share with me, and I started to talk with him. I said, well, what do you want to do when, when you get done with college? And I knew he was on the football team. And I thought, you know, maybe so he would try to get into the NFL or something. He said, oh, I, I want to go into the lay ministry. I thought, the lay ministry? What is that? I'd never heard such a thing, the lay ministry. See, I, I, I'm a Christian, and I want to go maybe on the mission field, talk about Jesus. And I, and I looked at the mission field. We don't need missionaries today. Do missionaries even exist? I had no idea that missionaries even exist. I didn't grow up in the church. I grew up in a, in a very secular Jewish home. And... and uh, then he said, you know, I'd like to give you an illustration of the gospel. you mind if I came by your room and, and did that? And I didn't know what he meant, an illustration of the gospel. And he was an art major. I thought maybe he wanted to draw something. And so I said, yeah, you can come by any time. We'd talk. And, and a day or two later, there was a knock on the door and he was there. He said, I'd like to give you an illustration of the gospel. I said, okay, come on in. And he came in and he started to draw. And he drew man on one side and God on the other, this big cliff with a cavern in between. And then it was the cross that joined the two, the, the typical uh, 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 four spiritual laws, laws sort of thing, something that I had never heard before. And he said, we're all sinners. I said, no, I'm not a sinner. That's how clueless I was. He says, no, we're all sinners. I said, no, I'm not a sinner. Then he opened up the scriptures and he showed me where Jesus said, If a man looks upon a woman to lust after her, he has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And I said, oh, <laughs> if, if that's what sin is, then I'm a sinner. If that's, the, if that's the definition, yeah, that I've done. And then he began to share how Jesus can bring us to God, how He bridges this cavern. I had never heard this. You think that everybody's heard this. I never heard it. Maybe I heard it, but it just never went in. I had watched TV all my life. You'd think I would have seen it, but I didn't. If I saw it, it never sunk in. And then I started meeting these Christian people, and their lives were really different than my life. And there were all these people that were saying that they were born again. 
And I had never heard this expression before. And I'd see them in the cafeteria. And they'd be eating together and laughing. And I noticed something about them, that their laughter was different than the laughter that I knew. Their laughter was never at anyone else's expense. The laughter that I knew when groups of people were together laughing, somebody was in pain while the rest of the people were laughing. It was different. And that young man who shared with me gave me a a little Gideon's New Testament. And he said, you know, I've, I've known many people to come to Jesus. And I've known many people to fall away. And I've asked people who have fallen away, have you been reading your Bible, have you been reading your Bible every day? And all of them said no. And I asked the people who were walking with Jesus, and I said, have you been, have you been reading your Bible every day? And they said yes. I said, well, that's pretty simple. You read your Bible every day, you'll walk with Jesus. You don't read your Bible every day, and you won't. He says, yeah, it's that simple. And so I started to read that little New Testament every day. November 7th of my freshman year, I was all alone in my room. I don't know exactly what prompted me, but I got down on my knees, and I had never been on my knees before. It's not something that that Jews in the secular Jewish community that I knew ever did. And I asked God to forgive me because I was a sinner. And I asked Jesus to come into my life. And at that very moment... It was as if there was a presence was standing in the room with me. And I opened my eyes and I saw nothing. But it was this, as if Jesus was standing there in the room with me. And I started to weep something that I had never done before. And I didn't want to get up because it was this, as if His presence was right there with me. And then after some time, I got up and I never told anyone. And two weeks later, the guy had shared, who had shared the Lord with me saw me in, in, the, in the restroom area because we didn't have suites back then. We each had rooms that, where there were a lot of guys in a room, but there was one general restroom and we, we all shared that thing. And, and uh, he said, Jim, have you received Jesus? I said, yeah, I think I have. How'd you know? He says, for two weeks you haven't stopped smiling. Something really changed my life at that moment. And not that I haven't had anger and bitterness and all the other things that go on with being a human being. But something changed at that very moment on November 7th of my freshman year. Philip came and he started preaching a message. His message was different. The evangelist was preaching a message And the crowd was gathering. And he was telling them how Jesus would change lives and how he could change a life. And one man was standing there in the audience. And he had a a cap on and he was standing there with his arms crossed. And he was just closing his eyes and just shaking his head as the evangelist was speaking. Going on and on, just shaking his head as the evangelist was preaching. And everything the evangelist would say, this... This man would start shaking his head. And finally the evangelist said, you disagree with everything I say? The man says, yes, I disagree with everything. He says, so what is it in your life? What are you so motivated by? And the man came up, he says, I'm with the Communist Party. And communism is the true thing that liberates the heart. Communism changes the heart. Communism liberates people. 
So the evangelist said, are you sure of that? He says, yes, I'm absolutely sure. He said, okay. The evangelist said, this is my first day in this town. I've never been here before. Tomorrow, I will come here with five people that live in this town that say Jesus has changed their lives, that they were in utter despair, that they were distraught, that their lives were a mess and they came to the Lord and their lives were changed and I'll have... I'll gather up five people who their lives were changed and I'll have them here at this podium tomorrow. You come. You bring five people with you that can talk about how great communism is, how it's changed their lives, how it's liberated them, how it's changed their lives and changed their hearts and made them better people. I'll meet you here tomorrow. The man said, good enough. The next day, the evangelist showed up. He had 50 people with him. 50 people from that city. They had gathered to him. And the the man from the Communist Party never came back. He never returned. There is nothing that will change your life from within but Jesus Christ and the Word of God. There is nothing that will change your life. You think that, oh, maybe if I get an education, it's going to change my life. It's going to make me so much better. No, whatever you are, you'll just be more of it. It will not change your life without Jesus Christ. He is the only one that changes your life from within. He is the only one that comes and ministers to us. This word, these scriptures speak to us. They change the heart. They take us from being angry and bitter and hateful. And they change our hearts. This word, these words, the words of Jesus, the words of the Scriptures, changes the hearts from within. This is the message that Philip was preaching. It was different than just the miracles that that they had seen this man Simon the Magician do. This was very different now. He spoke words of life. Philip spoke words that change the heart, that change us from within, that make us better people that make us love God, that cause us to be thankful. It's Jesus Christ and Him only. If you know Him, you have an absolute treasure. Never forget or disregard that which you know and give thanks. Every morning you ought to fall on your knees and give thanks for the God you have. If you know Him, if you don't know Him, you can know Him. So Philip comes preaching. And in verse 13 it says, Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And as he observed the signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. So even Simon was amazed. But we're not sure exactly what Simon really believed. Well now, in verse 14, we'll start reading. Verse 14 of of Acts chapter 8. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, 
May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord, if possible, would, and pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So, after Philip preaches the word, many people believed and they were also baptized, but the Holy Spirit had not come, come upon them. We've discussed this on several instances. God said to Peter that Peter would be given, these, be given the keys to the, this door. The doors that Peter would open would be opened, and no man could ever shut them. And so Peter preached the message on on Pentecost, on that first Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, on the first Pentecost after the resurrection in Acts chapter 2. Peter preached the message and opened the door for Jews to receive the gospel. And many Jews received the gospel on that day, and the church grew by the thousands, as as we've read, up until up uh, uh, through through this portion in chapter 8. And then Jesus said, you go and you preach the gospel in Jerusalem, in, Samar- in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Jerusalem was in Judea. The message had been preached in Ju- Jerusalem and Judea to the Jews. Now the door had to be opened to the Samaritans. The Samaritans were a mixed race of people. They were also a mixed religion of people. So you may remember from reading in the Old Testament, what would happen is, is that when the kingdom divided, so, so uh, David's son was Solomon after Solomon became Rehoboam to be king. Under Rehoboam, the kingdom divided. There, were, there was a tribe and a half. There was, Jerus- there was Judea, the tribe of, uh, of the, the, um, that included Jerusalem, and also half of the tribe of Benjamin went to the southern kingdom. They continued seeking the Lord and worshiping around the temple. The whole northern kingdom... All the other tribes, they actually built a a different altar. They built an altar there, and actually they didn't come down to Jerusalem to worship. No longer did they go to Jerusalem, because because the kings there felt that if they go to Jerusalem, they'll be drawn astray. And so it was a mixed religion. Moreover, when the Assyrians had come and mixed it up, they brought in other races of people. So it was also a mixed race and also a mixed religion. And you can see this. In John chapter 4, there was a woman standing by a well, a Samaritan woman, and Jesus began to share with her. And so if you look in John chapter 4, you can see the Samaritan mindset. There was a mindset that the Samaritan people had that became quite clear when Jesus was having a discussion with the Samaritan woman by the well. In Acts chapter 4, verse 7. In Acts chapter 4, verse 7. It says, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. So that's John chapter 4, verse 8 now. Therefore the Samaritans said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink? For I am a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So you see, Jews didn't deal with Samaritans. They had no dealings with them. So that Philip would go down and begin to share with the Samaritans was a remarkable thing. 
It really was quite remarkable. It would be like a white evangelist coming in 1962 into Alabama and sharing with, 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 with the blacks there. It was different. It was strange what, what uh, uh, Philip the evangelist was doing. It was strange what Jesus was doing here in John. In verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who said to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and drank from it himself and his sons and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty nor come all this way here to draw. And he said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that there is, uh, say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know, for salvation is from the Jews. So you see the way they thought. The woman said, We worship here. We worship here. We have this well. We have our great father, Jacob. And she said, you people, you people, you Jews say that Jerusalem is a place to worship. And Jesus confirmed, salvation is from the Jews. It's going to come to you people from the Jews. Jesus said that. Their mindset was totally separate. And what was interesting, when they had to wait, they had to wait for Peter to come and to pray for them. You see how remarkable that was. Here they were waiting for somebody to come from Jerusalem to pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Here they had to wait for that. It talks of submission to the church that was coming out of Jerusalem. So as Peter and John come from Jerusalem and start praying for them, the Holy Spirit starts falling upon them. Remember, they had no interactions with Jews. They didn't like this. And so much so they hated Jerusalem. They hated Jerusalem. This is found in in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. talks about this. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. One day Jesus was coming and he was on his way to Jerusalem and he was going to come through Samaria. And if you look in, in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. He sent his messengers on ahead of him and they went and they entered a village of of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. You see that? Jesus had ministered to this Samaritan woman. He brought the message of the gospel. In fact, he had ministered for several days in Samaria. Then when he was on his way back to Jerusalem for his crucifixion and ascension, he said, we're going to be passing through that city of Samaria on our way to Jerusalem. He was on his way. They found out that Jesus was was heading down to Jerusalem. They hated Jerusalem so much that they said, if Jesus is going to Jerusalem, we'll have nothing to do with him. They had nothing to do with Jesus, the Samaritans, when they found out he had his face set toward going to Jerusalem. That's how much they hated it. Now, back in Acts chapter 8, they have to wait now. They have to wait for for, uh, 
um, for, for Peter and John to come down and to pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. You see what God does? If you have prejudice in your heart, I guarantee you if you walk with God, He will put you in situations where that will be confronted to break it. They hated those from Jerusalem. They hated this thing of, we have to wait for people from Jerusalem to come down and pray for us that we could receive the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what they had to do. God had so moved on their hearts that they were now receiving Peter and John to come and pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. This is a submission now to the church that had originated in Jerusalem. This is a big thing to learn how to submit to learn how to have some interaction, a relationship with the body of Christ. In this case, it was originating from Jerusalem. Let's bring this home to us. There are very few Christians that understand accountability to the local church. And that is not that they lord it over us, not at all. It is that we submit ourselves to their leadership. Though my pastor's a busy guy, I'll meet with him once or twice a year just over lunch to see how things are going. And with the associate pastor, Roger, I'll meet with him two or three times a year just to see how things are going. And we email probably every week or two just to see how things are going. I want a relationship with the leadership in the body of Christ, those whom I recognize as leaders in the body of Christ. It has nothing to do with, oh, you know more scriptures than he does. It has nothing to do with that. It is leadership. It is understanding leadership in the body of Christ. It is understanding a mutual submission to one another. And how I submit to the body of Christ. If my pastor were to say tomorrow, I don't like the way you're doing something in your class. I think you ought to change it. You know what I would do? I would change it. Because he's the pastor. He's in charge. He calls the shots. And so often I'll take this class and the things that I'm teaching, I'll submit it to him and say, what do you want me to do? He says, just do whatever you want to do. Whatever you're doing, go ahead, do it. And he gives me that freedom. But I submit it to him. So few people, not just young people, old people, understand the need for submission in the body of Christ, the need to relate to the body of Christ. God took this and said, you're not even going to receive the Holy Spirit, Samaritans, until you learn to relate to this church that's coming out of Jerusalem. He told Peter, you hold the keys. Once you open the door for Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the outermost parts of the earth, the door will be open. He had already opened the door by preaching the gospel to the Jews in in Acts Acts chapter 2. And never again was Peter required for the Holy Spirit to fall on a Jew. But then came the Samaritans. Once Peter then opens the door to the Samaritans, never again is Peter required for the Holy Spirit to come and fall upon them. And once Peter then goes in Acts chapter 10 and opens the door to the Gentiles, even though Paul was called in Acts chapter 9 as the apostle to the Gentiles, never could he open the door for the Gentiles to come into the body of Christ until Acts chapter 10, where Peter goes. And he prays and he opens the door to the house of Cornelius, the Gentile house. The door is open. It's never shut again. Never is Peter required again for the Gentiles to come to the knowledge of God and have the Holy Spirit fall on them. But in this case, he uses this also as a demonstration to the Samaritans. Learn to submit one to another to the body of Christ. We have submission one to another. 
And because of that, because I have some measure of accountability here, I can't just pick up and go when I disagree with the pastor. Oh, the pastor preached a message I didn't like. I think I'll just go to another church. But you know what happens? God's not done with us yet. You'll go to that other church and guess what? That same message will be preached. The problem is in our hearts is we want to jump up and say, I have no accountability here, so I can just flip right on over there. Just no problem. And in some way we can justify ourselves, well, I'm not a member anyway. And so we'll exclude ourselves from membership so it makes it easier not to have accountability. Let me, let me tell you something that I think is disingenuous, that young people do, and so that you can avoid this problem. Several young people, and I've seen it many times over the years, when they want to go on mission trip, right? So they want to do summer missions. They have to raise several thousand dollars to go to East Asia. Well, the church, West University Baptist Church, has a missions program where for members of the church, they help them to go on missions. You're going on a mission trip, you can appear before the mission board, and and Chad will be one of the people that you'll come before and tell them where you're going and things, and they help you out. They'll help you out in raising that money. And in fact, if you're really plugged in, they'll even let you speak before some of the seniors' Sunday school classes. And the seniors are loaded because they've worked a lifetime. And they're glad to help young people. And so what happens is, when young people find this out, they've been in the church for three years just coming. And now all of a sudden they want to go to East Asia and they need money They say, "Uh, I think I'll join the church. You see how disingenuous that is? Does, Does that not appear a little bit funny to you? You see, Peter told Simon, you know, your heart isn't right in this matter. For some of your own gain, you want to be able to pray for people so they can receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter hits him pretty hard. I mean, this is pretty hard. Nobody, nobody in the body of Christ has ever spoken like this to me. If you think the Scripture pulls punches, you're wrong. Jesus didn't pull punches, neither did Peter. Look what Peter says to him in verse 20 of Acts chapter 8. May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray that the... Pray the Lord, that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. This word, the gall of bitterness. You know, English doesn't even have words to express what, what this really means. This is, this is you, you are in, in the uh, putrid urine of bitterness. That's what this really means. I mean, Peter really said it hard. I mean, Jesus spoke harshly to Peter when Peter went in the wrong way. He said, get behind me, Satan. I mean, imagine the Son of God calling you Satan. I mean, that's pretty tough, isn't it? Oh, no, Jesus wouldn't say that. Jesus loves the little children. Jesus was pretty tough. And Peter was pretty tough as well. So much so that Simon says, I can't pray. You guys pray for me. Lest any of that come upon me. There's an accountability to the body of Christ. And it's not like we want to hook you in so that we can get your bank account number and take your money. Really, 
Your $5 is not going to change this church much. Really. It is understanding from your perspective the difference in, in, in just coming and then learning submission. You see, these people couldn't even receive the Holy Spirit. Couldn't even receive the Holy Spirit without their submission to the church coming from Jerusalem? This is like, like from Dallas. This is, this is a joke. The Texans did win last night. But this is, this is what it's like. And this is what God has for us. It's learning to, ha- how to relate to the body of Christ. I don't know where that God is going to plant you in a church. This church has the easiest membership. It has something called the watch care. You don't even have to leave the membership of your home church. It's called watch care. That will kind of watch over you when you come here. And what's involved is you just walk up at the end of a church service and you say, I'd like to join the church. You fill out a little card. Yes, I'm saved and I've been baptized. That's it. You're in. I think it's too stinking easy. I really do. Many churches I've been in, you've got to work at this thing for six months and go through believers classes and they make sure they check you out and all of this stuff before you can join. This is so easy. But there's this resistance. Like, I do what I want. and go where I want. There's no accountability. And we lose out. We really lose out on this. You lose out in the relation of the body of Christ. You say, well, they don't know me. But how could they know you? You've never joined. And then once you've joined, you've never done anything. So how could they know you? If you call up Roger any day, say, I'd like to meet with you, he'll set up a time to meet with you. You're struggling with something. They have people who are experts in counseling. Any kind of counseling. You're struggling with physical problems. And I've seen it with international students struggling with physical problems and the the students have no money. They set them up with doctors in the church who take care of them at no charge. Because the people truly don't have the money. People who their, their tooth is cracked. And they have no dental insurance. And they don't know what to do. They set them up with a dentist. There's all this stuff that comes through the body of Christ and the relationship with the body of Christ. It's not like, oh, we want to extract your money from you. It is not really. It's we want to re- learn to relate to you. God drove this point home to the Samaritans who wanted no measure of accountability with these people. And said, you're not even going to get the Holy Spirit until these people from Jerusalem come and lay their hands on you. How gross. Lay their hands on you. And only then will you receive the Holy Spirit. God wants wants you to learn how to relate to the body of Christ. And this is important because not just young people. You will find couples. You say, well, when I graduate, then I'll become a member of a church. You won't. You lie. Because I've seen it. Couples go and they, they come and they hang out for four years deciding, well, I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure. You have, I, I think it shouldn't take more than three months, but I'll give you four. You have four months to decide where you want to join. Go somewhere else, join, if it's not here. But get involved and come under submission to the body of Christ somewhere. Somewhere. We moved to Houston. We checked out about five, six churches. 
I mean, with five or six churches to check out, that's enough. I mean, you can see enough. And so, like, by the sixth week, and, and I had a lot of people to please. We're a family of six. And two of my kids were teenagers at that time. It was really tough to please. But we joined the church within like six weeks of moving here. And I had a lot of people to please. It doesn't take that long. But there's a submission. And now I'm plugged in. I want to become part of the body of Christ and the life of Christ. Not that that's where you receive your Holy Spirit anymore. That comes directly from God when you receive Him. But it's where you receive life. Where life is ministered. And there's a relationship. And then you'll learn that through this, it really wasn't that bad. Nobody got your bank account number. Nobody tried to extort money from you. And then the next time, that when you're married and you come to a new town, it'll be easier. That, hey, I want to become a part of the body of Christ. And instantly, you know, anytime you move to a new community, the advantage you have is that many of you are in college together, so you have this instant community around college. That doesn't always happen. So when you grow up, and you're all grown up and you get a real job and you're planted in some city, you'll want to be able to get in an instant community and the church provides that instantly. Instantly. I have relatives who are believers and they never get plugged into a church and so they, they, they never get plugged into the body of Christ and they never find a community when they move to a new town. Instantly, I'm in a community because I join a church and we're in the body of Christ. My kids are plugged into Awanas and this program and that program and youth groups and... Everybody's happy, and my wife is in some women's group and some cooking group and some, you know, second cup of coffee group and all the, the things that, that ladies do who take care of kids and work really hard doing that. And they're instantly plugged in. And then there's guys who, you know, I can, you know, let my hair down with and go hunting with and fishing with and stuff that guys like to do and go to the shooting range. You know, there's people, there's a community there for me. That's what the church offers. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Word of God. Thank you for the truth that is in the Word. Thank you that it is Jesus Christ and Him only who changes the heart. And Father, I pray for these young people that you would so move on their hearts if they don't know you that they would bow their knee and cry out to you and say, Jesus, come into my heart. And Father, I pray that you would take those others who know you but have not been reading and meditating on the Scriptures every day and they would start lest they fall away. And Lord, I pray that you have mercy on these young people that they would understand the body of Christ. They would understand and learn what it is to relate to the body of Christ and understand the community in the body of Christ. Father, bless these young people, I pray. I pray your blessings and peace to be upon them. The grace of God be there. The grace of God be upon them. In the name of Jesus, amen.